Are you a low life? Do you know any low lives? Most people associate that term with something derogatory, insulting, but the truth is that sages teach us another meaning, something more intricate, something more relevant, and something closer to home. There's a guy named David Ben Gurion, Shem Rashaim Yadkav. Many Orthodox Jews tell you that he's a lowlife, but here in his picture he's shown that he's very sensitive to a Brit Milav that the rabbi is performing on a small little tiny eight-day-old baby. How could such a person be a lowlife? On the other hand, lowlife is something that's very relevant to your day-to-day life, and the average person out there can be it or associated to one without even realizing it, and it affects them halachically. Low lives are people that cannot be used as witnesses in a Jewish court. Why? Why is that such a problem, even if they're not criminals? Even more so, there are certain things that the sages say that are going to simply blow your mind into a new realm of reality that's so beautiful, that's so holy, you're simply going to say that anyone who doesn't watch this lecture, he's a low life by choice. Enjoy the lecture, share it, support And Bezat Hashem, we're looking forward to your feedback. We're back here to start a new week, Bezat Hashem, with our uh, series of Jewish Hashkafa to learn the, uh, the very key points of how to think like a Jew, the Jewish ideology. Uh, tonight's show will be for the Refuah uh, Shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Esriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and also for uh, all of the uh, people that uh, are not able to watch the live on TikTok because we got kicked off last week because we mentioned LGBTQB. So apparently they're very sensitive over there. Uh, to uh, mention anything that contradicts their uh, unfortunate reality. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to continue our series, and um, we have just a couple of updates for anyone that uh, hasn't received it or just simply needs another reminder. A couple of things that are going on. Right now we are uh, only a couple of weeks away from uh, Pesach. Pesach is a auspicious time to uh, get closer to Hashem. Of course, it's a time to uh, get closer with the family, to... Uh, fulfill the mitzvah of uh, discussing Pesach on the seder is the key part of the mitzvah of Pesach, aside from eating the matzah. Uh, but aside from that, one of the things that the Rambam paskins lalacha uh, in every Yom Tov is that uh, the key part of being happy during, uh, during holidays, during any Yom Tov, is by helping the poor. And uh, Pesach is the uh, number one holiday where poor people need as much help as possible. The same token, we have a uh, poverty growing in Eretz Israel, growing around the world in different places. There's a uh, bigger variance between the rich people and the poor people. You know, you're seeing on one end, you're seeing, uh, you know, huge banks, uh, you know, declaring bankruptcy overnight. On the other hand, you're seeing the uh, rich people that are either behind it or part of it or uh, connected to it in some way or another, still collecting their millions uh, while the, uh, the poor guy uh, sometimes ends up suffering. Uh, so uh, the, the big variance between the poor and the rich uh, is continuing to grow, and this is, uh, there's no exception in Eretz Yisrael, a place where it's run by a government that's literally against its own people. And unfortunately, uh, one of the things that uh, we're seeing is that the, uh, the government specifically hates the religious people, causing uh, a lot of problems for them, uh, refusing to help them, 
in any way, shape, or form. And one of the uh, so-called uh, religious people that's in the government, who's obviously just pretending to be religious, uh, just mentioned earlier there, uh, in the last 24 hours that he is uh, willing to break up the entire government uh, you know, because the religious people want to get paid uh, as much as the uh, soldiers in the army. To him, it bothers him as if it's coming out of his pocket that religious people should get paid as much money as a soldier. He doesn't actually remember in the Torah where it says that Moshe Rabbeinu sent, uh, a th for every thousand soldiers that he sent, he also had a thousand avrechim, a thousand scholars learning Torah. So unfortunately, this is the reality and uh, that's why we're here back again asking for your help as we do each year uh, for uh, to help the poor people in Eretz Yisrael, specifically the people that are scholars, people that are, you know, have committed their life to the Torah. Uh, last year, we, uh, you know, pretty much uh, wrote a check for, for a quarter million dollars or a little more than that uh, to help poor, poor people, which is about almost a million shekels, I, I believe, in total came out to help poor people and this year we're trying to do as much as possible uh, and uh, but at the same token we're trying to uh, change the things that are happening in the world the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin page 98 uh, says that uh, before Mashiach comes there's going to be a big war this war is a biblical war that's known that's mentioned by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14 or in the, the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel in chapter 38 and it's mentioned several times across the uh, the par different parts of the prophets of this war being called Gogu Magog. And this war is a horrific war, so horrific that even the sages were scared of it. And the Gemara says that the Talmudim of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos asked them, how do we get saved from this war? I mean, this is a horrific war. If it happens tomorrow, if it happens next week, how do we get saved from it? He says to them, you have to make sure that you toil in Torah and you burden yourself with overwhelming kindness, with loving kindness. So the reality is, is that when this, uh, you know, this war was first, you know, discussed by the sages, many people around the, the world, you know, really mocked it because simply in their minds, it's not logical that the whole world could uh, literally uh, come to a war that could end the world and destroy two-thirds of the world in eight minutes. Why? Because in those days, the, the weapons that they had were, uh, you know, uh, throwing spears and, uh, and huge uh, uh, boulders. How do you end an entire world that way? Today, of course, we all realize that things have changed. Technology has changed. A uh, press of a button can detonate a bomb uh, that could cause a world war and that could literally end the world. Now, at the same token, you know, a person that says, oh, maybe I'll protect myself with my little gun or my collection of guns, quickly realizes that the only thing that he could protect himself from is perhaps if somebody wants to intrude in this house. But from a world war, only the one above, the God of Israel, can help any one of us. And the sages gave us clear instructions of how to save ourselves from this great war. And that's toil in Torah, be, you know, be connected to Torah, and most, and most importantly, be very kind. How, do you, how can you be kind? The main way to be kind is to help others. Helping ourselves, of course, is a necessity, but uh, at the same token, many times people help themselves so much they forget about other people. So it's critical for us to take some time and resources and money uh, to actually help our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael that don't have the, uh, the ability to buy whatever they need during this holiday 
They simply don't have the finances. And of course, each one of them has a family, has kids, and it gets expensive. Just because they live in uh, Israel and they're learning Torah doesn't mean that the prices get any cheaper. So it's important for us to care enough about our brothers and sisters to help them. And that's why each year, our organization, Bezat Hashem, has taken it upon themselves to help as many families as possible. In the same token, we know that there, the world has a lot more terrorism, a lot more anti-Semitism, and a lot more hunger and poverty. How do we deal with that part of it? We also have to add a token of Torah. Now, of course, the shiurim that we have are certainly helping thousands and thousands of people, but we wanted a special anecdote for this particular holiday that we've never done before, which is what we're doing. We're, we recruited 540 Torah scholars, Avrechim, to study together the entire Talmud Bavli, the entire Shas, in a single day. Each one will be designated a certain amount of pages, approximately five or so uh, dapim, study for uh, five hours each at least. So if they could do more than five dapim in five hours, great. If it's a uh, uh, less, somebody else can make up for it. But either way, they, each one of them will be studying for five hours. And at the end of that day, not only will the entire group have an entire shas uh, completed in a single day, which is monumental in itself, but each one of them will also get a uh, very generous uh, 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 sum of money to help them with the holidays. Of course, in addition to that, we also have to help different uh, people in Eretz Yisrael, the widows, the orphans, people that simply don't have the ability to help themselves. We're going to try to do as much as we can. But this is all really depending on as, how much help you guys uh, provide. And that's why I recommend for everybody to go to the uh, website, bhpesach.org. bhpesach.org, b-h-p-e-s-a-c-h.org. Over there, you'll see both posters for this campaign on the same campaign. One of them is uh, discussing the same thing we do each year with a cute little bear talking about how we have to feed the poor. And the other one is the new program that uh, really is writing on the, uh, the program we had in Purim, uh, where we had hundreds and hundreds of uh, scholars of all ages uh, study Torah. This time we're only using older scholars because we have to uh, complete the Shas. So this is the entire Talmud Bavli, the entire Shas learned in a single day. This certainly is going to help any one of the people that contributes, especially those that contribute generously, if you yourself have not completed the shas, if you yourself have lacked in your Torah studies, this is certainly something that can help your own tikkun. So uh, this is one of those things where you could do uh, two major mitzvot that could help you yourself fulfill the, uh, the mitzvah before the holiday to help the poor. In addition, do something that actually sponsors more Torah in the world. And three, uh, three and most critically, is to help your own tikkun your own tikkun of lacking, uh, of learning Torah for however many years it's been before you actually studied learning Torah. So with that being said, we're going to continue our uh, series and uh, really get into the uh, next part of the Chazonish, going into the details of trying to figure out how do we perfect ourselves, how do we fix ourselves. And uh, of course, the Chazonish has told us time and time again, that the study of Musar has to go together with the study of Alacha. If a person only studies Alacha and does not study Musar, a dead animal in the middle of the street is better than him. Why? Because a person that just knows the law but doesn't know how to behave in an in a appropriate manner is certainly going to be a problem for society. 
On the other hand, a person that only studies Musar, but does not study the law, so he only studies about how you have to be generous and not angry. In so many words, this person is going to look, have the image of someone that's righteous, but in reality, since he doesn't know the law, he doesn't know when to apply certain traits and when not to apply. So this person will simply look at everybody as if they're evil. So this is certainly not the uh, the pattern for success. The pattern for success, as the sages discuss in many places in the Torah, is to study both the law as well as the Musal. But of course, this is in addition to scripture itself, to the uh, Chumash, which the Shulchan Aruch obligates each and every Jew to study the weekly parashat twice and commentary once. It's called Shtay Mikra Ve'chatargum. So now that we know this, uh, the Chazonish has told us last week that just like medicine where if you apply medicine that could very well save somebody's life but if you apply it to the wrong person or you apply the wrong quantity to the right person but it's still wrong instead of helping it could hurt and even kill the same concept when it comes to torah if you don't apply the right amount of torah to the to the person or you apply the wrong teachings to the uh, to the person this teachings can actually hurt the person so it's very critical for a person to have a rabbi that's going to guide them tell them where to go what to learn what not to learn at the same token one of the things that we learn in the Mishnah Masechet Avot is that the uh one of the uh things that we see among the sages is that they're not shy about calling things out and telling people when they're wrong is an obligation to to rebuke but not just rebuke for the sake of rebuking rebuking for the sake of helping people and if a person is cares about another jew cares about another person then certainly if he sees that person doing something wrong he's going to show that care not by yelling and screaming at them not by insulting them but rather by actually telling them that they're doing something wrong but sometimes you can tell somebody something and the mental uh, capacity that that person has is so limited that instead of seeing your words as helpful they'll actually see it as insulting one of the examples is what this whole shiur is about which is low lives how to avoid being a low life is clearly something all of us want to do but at the same token how do we help low lives now if you look at the definition of a low life uh, on a dictionary you'll see that a low life is somebody that is unacceptable in society because of his immoral behavior somebody that simply is not a uh, doesn't behave in a nice way now of course they also categorize a low life and most of you if you see oh this is a lecture by a rabbi helping uh, uh, low lives or how to avoid being a low life this rabbi is too harsh this is not nice that's not the way to talk but that's simply because you're not aware of the definition of low life you're assuming that the definition by wikipedia or by uh, some oxford dictionary is the definition for a low life because they categorize a low life as someone that's by definition a criminal someone that is hurting others with his criminal behavior now although that is correct that's not the only definition of low life the original foundation of low life is someone that has a uh low self uh, uh, respect or no self-respect to the point where they're doing things that are simply despicable 
there was a question that came up in the lecture last week, in the shiur last week, stumped the rabbi, where uh, someone uh, shocked even me with the question that I kind of skipped the word that he used just simply because it was uh, just uh, bothersome to me, I guess, uh, where he has a guest that has been coming to his house for Shabbat for many years, and this guest apparently is a lowlife, and uh, although they may not see him as a lowlife, they certainly see him as a family member, he acts like a lowlife. How so? He feels so comfortable with the surroundings, despite the fact that it's Shulchan Shabbat, it's the Shabbat dinner, it's holy, this, uh, when you're eating on uh, 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 a Shulchan Shabbat, or you're eating bread in general, it's the equivalent in Judaism to the Mizbeach, to the altar, as if you're offering a sacrifice to God. So of course a person has to behave in a certain, uh, certain manners, certain good manners. But this lowlife feels so comfortable and so at home with his surroundings that he has no problem flatulating and relieving himself of all types of uh, gases from his body during the actual dinner, meaning loud enough for people to hear, close enough for people to smell, and in so many words, disgusting. Now, this type of disgusting behavior is very much indeed a perfect definition of the actions of a lowlife. Not just because of what he did, because certainly this is either things that many people do. You have to do it at times, but typically a normal person would do these things in private, in a bathroom, in a place where you're not going to hurt or uh, 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 anybody else or affect anyone else and certainly not uh, show lack of respect for the honor of Shabbat, for holiness, or for even for other people, or for yourself. This type of behavior is unfortunately common among low lives that have lost any realm of self-respect. They simply do not see anything wrong with behaving in such a manner because they excuse it either because they have a stomach ache or because what's the big deal? Why are you so extreme? Why are you so stringent? And even if you try to help these low lives, it's almost like a dead end because they don't even understand what's wrong with what they did. Typically, when you're dealing with a child, if the child is smart, now you may have to explain yourself a few times, but typically the best way to explain to a child that they did something wrong if they don't understand right away is simply giving them the example of what if i did this to you so if let's say for example one child you know uh insulted their brother or sister and they said oh you are uh you know you're stupid now obviously that's not very nice and the other kid starts crying and he goes to his mommy and daddy and said oh look my brother called me stupid and and the first child says oh what's the big deal it's just a word so, of course, if the parents want to help the kid, instead of yelling at the kid, what are they going to do? They're going to go put the kid to the side and talk to him and say, listen, why, don't, why did you say it? Well, what's the big deal? It's just the word. Okay. Well, what if I said that you are stupid? Like, well, I don't care. You could do it all the time. So, okay, so they don't get it. She says, okay, what if I said, what if I went to school in front of all your friends in school? I said, hey, by the way, he... This, uh, this is uh, my son or daughter. They're stupid. What do you guys think? Oh, all of a sudden the kid's face changes. Why does it change? Because all of a sudden they're starting to put things into perspective. And they realize, oh, maybe I don't want to be called stupid. Especially not in front of people to be embarrassed. Everybody's going to call me names then. They're going to think I'm this. They're going to think I'm that. So when you're speaking to a child, even though you will sometimes 
have to explain yourself in multiple ways and you have to have an endless amount of patience if you want to be a good parent. With adults, it's not really that different, but sometimes it requires even more patience because that adult has been doing the wrong thing for so long, they've actually gone to the point where they believe it's right. The kid just doesn't understand necessarily the difference between right and wrong yet. He's brand new. He's like a, you know, clean, uh, clean piece of paper, white, there's nothing on it. The older person that's already in his 30s, 40s, 50 years old, 60 years old, he has been doing the wrong thing for so long, he has turned what he thinks is wrong, what is wrong into what's right and literally has become a low life. So in our work, one of the things that we have to constantly deal with is the people out there, people out there that don't realize that they're low lives because they don't have to lie in their life. So for them, what they're comparing themselves <clears throat> to are other people that are just like them. Other people that, you know, use foul language, you know, cuss and, 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 and mock people and make fun of people and uh, yell at people. And, uh, you know, if the, uh, if they go to a hotel and their room is not ready on time, or if they go to a restaurant and the food is not ready, or it's, uh, they serve them the wrong meal, they feel perfectly comfortable yelling at the, uh, at the waitress or at the waiter and yelling at the people. And they think that's, you know, that's a show of, uh, confidence. The reality is that if you're learning your midot, your character traits from television, from all the filth that's in movies and things like that, then yeah, you'll think that's right. But if you learn from a Torah, quickly you'll find out that these types of behaviors are the behavior of a low life. So one of the things that each and every single one of us has to do as part of our own tshuva transformation is to remove ourselves as far away from the low life behavior that we've become accustomed to and to become a righteous person. But the first thing is, is to not be busy with being offended by the term and more be busy with, uh, uh, be busier with actually making sure we don't fit the definition of the sages. So in so many words, a low life is not necessarily always going to be a criminal, but certainly is going to be someone that has lost self-respect. So the sages discuss this extensively. We're going to go into several different sources, but first we're going to start off with our basic foundation, which is the Chazonish. Last week, the Chazonish told us that it's an obligation for all educators to study every individual student, to see the roots of their personality, to make sure that whatever teachings they're giving them, which is in essence the spiritual medicine that they're giving them, is helping them because if it's not helping them, it could actually be harming them. And it's critical for the teacher to make sure that their students are paying attention. Unfortunately, there are times where the student is simply not paying attention. He doesn't come to class anymore. A person like that, you can't help. This is why I always tell people that when they ask me to call whatever relative they want me to call or friend they want me to call to help them come back to the right way of Hashem, I tell them, before I call, before I talk, before I do anything, they have to watch several lectures. And the reason why is because I want to know, first and foremost, are they looking to help themselves? Are they willing to help themselves? Or are they so confident in their wrong path that they're completely closed to any type of resourcefulness, any type of help? If they're not even interested in any type of education, there's nothing you can do to help such a person. So it's critical for the teacher 
to be helpful and to be conscious of what the students are learning, but it's even more critical for the student to be receptive. Now in this uh, section, Chazonish says the following, The darkening or feebleness of the spiritual light is called baseness or lowliness of the spirit. Such lowliness is like a closed door which prevents the entrance of morality. One cannot study refined concepts with anyone who lacks self-respect by eating in public or acting in such a manner. And one cannot expect someone who has the habit of behaving in a low manner to achieve spiritual greatness. Just these couple of lines are what we're going to focus, focus on tonight because they're so critical. So first and foremost, we understand here from the Chazonish that when a person accustoms themselves, makes themselves used to, behaving in a low life manner this darkens their soul this darkens their spiritual light that was gifted to them by god so much so that they can become accustomed to it used to it and uh, really get to a point where they believe it's the right behavior the gemara in masechet kiddushin <clears throat> says that a person that makes a sin the first time and doesn't see himself get punished will do it again if he does it again and he doesn't get punished again he turns what he did that was sinful into something permitted this is the Gemara Masaret Kiddushin page 40a so here we see that the nature of a person is to do whatever it is that they want whatever they desire he'll take something that doesn't belong to him he'll touch something that he's not allowed to touch uh she'll look at something she's not allowed to look at whatever it is that's a sinful behavior usually they're going to just try to see what happens they're not gonna go all out and 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 really do everything that they want but they're gonna just try they're gonna just touch something just to see what happens how do the authorities the police react how do the parents react how does their uh, wife or boss react you know they took something let's say for example there is what's called petty cash this was more common in the uh, old days where we used to be actually cash today it's usually a credit card where there's like a company credit card that the boss gives to the employees and he tells them listen if there are company expenses things that you need to buy for the business for the company for the benefit of the company use the company card and he has or she has the trust in the employees that they're only going to buy things that are relevant to the business they're not going to buy their their groceries with it or or or, or they're going to buy themselves jewelry with it they're going to buy you know things for themselves now a low life is going to do exactly the opposite he may buy you know things for the business let's say for example if the business needs some pens or some paper or he has to take out a client to a to a dinner or a lunch he'll do that but then he'll say you know what who's really paying attention to what i'm spending the money on this company has so much money let me buy myself a uh, ticket to a uh, to a uh, game and uh, let me buy myself also a new watch and let me buy myself some uh, sneakers and he starts you know buying small things just a few hundred dollars and he figures no one's going to pay attention now if he sees no one pays attention a month has passed and no one has said anything what is he going to do next time he has this desire 
He's going to buy something bigger. He's going to buy a more expensive watch. He's going to buy, uh, instead of a tickets to a, uh, to a game, he's going to buy a vacation. He's going to buy something more expensive. Why? Because his low-life mentality has, has given him the permission that since they're, number one, not paying attention to what I'm spending the money on, two, I deserve it for whatever irrational reason he, uh, he, he thinks, and three, nothing happened after I did it the first time nothing happened there's really no punishment and even if they punish me they'd say oh you shouldn't do it i'll you know i'll pretend like it's a mistake and i'll pay it back and they rationalize the things and this type of low life behavior is very very common in corporate america in corporations around the world and unfortunately in society altogether people test the system and they take and take and take until it's too late this is even more common when people get a uh you know grants from governments there's no shortage of horrible you know Chilul Hashem stories even from the jewish community where there were certain schools or different types of uh, jewish institutions that received government funding in order for them to use that funding that money to educate the kids to build the school to do things that are in essence that the funding is made up for but instead of the money being used to help the kids to build a school to increase the education a few criminal low lives actually fit the definition in all of its capacity and started using that money for their own personal investment portfolios and vacations and eventually this Chilul Hashem that was silent became a Chilul Hashem that went into the news and people ended up being in jail and there's literally no shortage of these stories there was even a low life that uh, was part of a terrorism attack uh just a few years ago where uh he uh the the shooter you know shot and he uh he was one of the people that got injured and initially this guy uh looked like a hero that he survived and he spoke out and, and it looked like he was a really really nice guy and quickly did hashem make sure that oh let me bring him to the top just like haman and then destroy him for all the low life behavior that he's had over the period of years for stealing money and that's exactly what happened after he hit the top and got a lot of publicity then Hashem brought out all of the real news behind the scenes that's happening against this guy and he was exposed as a person that did a lot of wrong things with other people's money so this type of behavior unfortunately is common and it's not just in the secular world it's not just in the non-Jewish world unfortunately it's in the Jewish world and the reason why we mention specifically the jewish world is just like any other lecture these are our brothers and sisters we have to acknowledge the fact that we're doing something wrong in order to fix it and not be oblivious of the fact that there's some uh, bad things in our own backyard we have to face the problems in order for them to go away they're not going to just go away by themselves so the chazonish is telling us here that this type of behavior darkens the soul and gets the person into a point where his lowliness his low life type of behavior becomes his second nature and once he has developed these negative traits whether it's bad disgusting behavior like we discussed or it's taking other people's stuff or any other type of low life behavior once they've become used to this type of behavior once they've become simply disgusting and they think it's okay to be disgusting 
not realizing that you are you were created you were created in the image of god god gave you the ability to determine right or wrong you are the representative of god whether you are young or old male or female if you are a jew you have to be a representation of god in his torah even if you think of yourself as i'm not religious you're still a representation of god or going against god but needless to say you are and this is why moshe rabenu got punished so harshly when he missed the opportunity to speak to the stone and instead he hit the stone even though it made common sense that hitting the stone would work because that's what happened last time the first time that hashem told moshe rabenu to bring out the water he told him to bring his staff and to hit one of the stones and after moshe rabenu hit the stone the water came out so years later hashem asks moshe rabenu to do the same thing again to bring water out after miriam dies only this time don't hit the stone speak to the stone but because of all of the scuffers the people that like to make fun annoying moshe rabenu and seeing that it's not working because he spoke to the wrong stone and it was the water wasn't coming out moshe rabenu hit the stone and and the water came out now although the goal of getting the water out was achieved the bigger goal of doing a kiddush hashem of sanctifying hashem's name was missed and that's why hashem says to moshe and aaron you are not going to enter eretz israel because you did not sanctify my name how so if you would have spoken to the stone and the water would have come out then it would have been a kiddush hashem the fact that you hit it and it came out although it's wonderful since the people already saw it or they heard about that happening before it was nothing new to them so there was no new opportunity to glorify hashem's name the fact that you hit the stone missed the opportunity altogether if you would have spoken to the stone and the water still would have come out that would have been something new that would have wowed everybody and that would have sanctified hashem's name and how great he is you missed the opportunity and because of that you're not going to enter Eretz Israel which from our perspective of lowly humans it seems harsh but of course Hashem has endless amount of reasons of why he does what he does and he's always right so a person that is going to be lowly in his behavior not in the extraordinary way of Moshe Rabbeinu lowliness through through righteousness but rather lowliness in negative behavior a person that is going to act like an animal is going to you know be disgusting you know make make uh disgusting sounds when he or she eats make uh all types of sounds annoy people you know go to the bathroom and leave the door open uh you know do all types of things that are just simply inconsiderate of the world around them that type of person is not only considered a low life but today we're also going to learn that person is not considered a kosher person what do I mean by kosher person? According to the Shulchan Aruch, you cannot use this person as a witness in any Jewish ceremony, similar to someone that desecrates Shabbat or is an idol worshiper who's not allowed to be a witness. This low life also cannot be used as a witness. So it's to that extent. This is not just a Musar teachings of don't be disgusting, don't be a low life. This is a warning to low lives that if they want to be a kosher person they have to stop and they have to fix themselves or else they're simply putting themselves in a world of its own 
a world of low lives. Now, who wants to go up to Shemaim after 120 years and you have a bet deen in Shemaim? You have the greatest Rabbanim of the generation in front of you, the voice of God coming out from time to time, angels on the right, angels on the left, all types of extraordinary things your eyes have never seen. And you have a line of people in front of you, all the people that died that day. And everyone is waiting for their judgment. And each person, before they get judged, they're shown a movie of their entire life, what they did when they were a little boy, what they did when they grew up a little more. Oh, over there, look, you studied another Mishnah, Chazaku Baruch. Oh, look over there, you finished, you did a siyum on the Nevi'im series, Chazaku Baruch. Oh, you did it with your brother and sister, great job. Oh, over there, you didn't listen to your Ima and Abba. Mm. Oh, over there, you did something that wasn't so nice. Did you apologize? Let's see. Oh, you apologize. Good job. And they show the kid's life. And then he's older. They show him when he's in yeshiva. And he's much more dedicated to Torah. And he's learning the Shas. And he's learning the Mishnayot. And he's learning Poskim. And he's learning the Zohar. And he's learning Shuchan Aruch. And he's learning everything that's possible just to make sure he consumes all the Torah in the world. And he's teaching and he's learning. And eventually he gets judged like the righteous people out there. You are amazing. And then the next guy after him comes up. And the next guy says, oh, well, you aren't really a Torah scholar. What did you do with your life? Well, I wasn't a Torah scholar. I learned a little bit, but I used the money that I worked to help Torah scholars. Ah, okay. So they give him also a favorable judgment. And then there's another guy. But this guy, they say, hold on a second. Wait, wait, no, no. Wait, hold on a second. You have to go to a different department. Why? Well, the two people in front of me went. Yeah, yeah. They are good people that uh, they're not low lives. Excuse me? Yeah, you're in the low life department. You have to go to a low life bed, you know, to just go to the bed dean that deals with low lives. What's that? Oh, you'll find out when you get there. You'll find out when you get there. It's a little hot over there. What? Yes. You go to a place where they judge low lives because. They have a different judgment from righteous people that learned Torah, that did mitzvot, that did everything. And the guy says, yeah, but, but I kept Shabbat. Yeah, you kept Shabbat, but you made everybody disgusted. While you were not driving on Shabbat, everyone else wanted to vomit every time they saw how you behaved. So you go to the low life department. Yeah, but, but I gave Tzedakah. Yeah, you gave Tzedakah, but you made the guy that you gave Tzedakah feel bad because you made fun of him because he's poor acting like a low life oh but but i but i also um uh i went to uh i went to synagogue yes you went to synagogue but when you went to synagogue you wanted to make sure everybody knows you're at synagogue so you started talking in the synagogue very loud very obnoxious and nobody can even pray because you were so annoying again acting like a low life oh but but i worked really hard at business yes you worked really hard in business and you cheated your customers and you cheated the government and you cheated your employees again the same exact low life type of pattern was everywhere in the synagogue in the uh, bank in the restaurant at work you are a low life across the board hence the reason why the bed dean that will judge you will deal with you precisely because they deal with low lives like you who wants to be that guy Raise your hand if you want to be that guy. I don't have to see you to know that no one's raising their hand. So you see, Rabotai Karim, 
being a lowlife, being disgusting, being a thief, being a liar, being things that are negative is not just a hazard for the people around you. It's a hazard for yourself. It's like drinking poison every day. This is why our holy Torah tells us you have to learn the Allaha, but you also have to learn the Musar in order to find out if you are acting like a tzaddik or a tzaddika or you're acting like a lowlife. So the Chazunish tells us that if a person has already gotten used to acting like a lowlife, to teach them becomes more difficult. Not impossible, but more difficult. And anyone that's involved in Kiruv has to know that getting in, has to know that they're going to be surrounded by lowlifes many times. And their job is not to make fun of the people, but also not to ignore the fact that these people are lowlifes. You have to acknowledge the fact that you are here to help them, not mock them. But that's not by ignoring the problem. It's by facing the problem, by letting people know, listen, that behavior is unacceptable. What you're doing is wrong. Because if you don't say it, you just join the rest of the people that are around this person and also don't say it. So if you don't say it and they don't say it, this guy thinks it's right. If he acts like an animal and his wife doesn't say anything and his kids don't say anything and his neighbor doesn't say anything and the employees don't say anything, nobody says anything either because they're scared or because they don't even realize it's that bad. And then you as the rabbi or the friend or the one that knows a little Torah, you come see and you see that, what, this guy's acting like a lowlife, disgusting. And you don't say anything either. Guess what? You become just like them. And then he in his mind says, well, listen, you know what? I just did this really thing that some people say is disgusting but even the rabbi didn't say anything so it must not be disgusting it must be okay and he will continue acting that way and you will also be guilty for his behavior because a person that sees his fellow doing something wrong and doesn't say anything gets sued in shamayim for that same wrong behavior now many times the low life will say listen you may be right about if I steal or I hurt people, but what I'm doing technically is not stealing or hurting people. It's technically not even forbidden, according to the Torah. So it's okay that I do it. Wrong. How do we know? There are laws and there are chukim, which are, there's laws that are things that are logical and things that are beyond logic. And character trait development is a combination of both. There are certain things that we obviously realize we have to fix. And there are certain things that even if we don't realize why they need to be fixed, the Torah tells us we have to fix them. So the Chazunish tells us that if you're going to be teaching somebody that's a low life, you have to understand already from getting into it, it's going to be a difficult path. It's going to be a difficult journey. Why? Because that lowliness is like a closed door that prevents the entrance of morality, meaning that it's not going to be enough to tell this person once to stop doing it. You'll have to do it sometimes more than once, sometimes more than twice, sometimes more than three times or four times. It all depends on how this person has lived their life until now. Because the more they've gotten used to behaving this way, the more they're used to it in such a way where they actually think it's right and they'll even debate you 
of why it's right so a person has to know that when they're first starting to do tshuva the character trait development the musar that you learn in so many words is going to pinpoint things that you're supposed to do and if you're not doing them that means that you are currently leaning towards the low life realm for example if somebody gets into doing tshuva first thing they hear is you have to observe shabbat good shabbat doesn't really require you to change your behavior that much just tells you don't work don't drive your car have a nice beautiful dinner kiddush bless before you eat bless after you eat it doesn't require that much change in your behavior but if a person hears that uh aside from observing shabbat you also have to protect your breath watch your eyes don't look at things that are not modest now it requires a person to change their behavior not just one day a week but the entire week and that certainly is a character trait development that takes a lot more effort now if a person says now listen i just can't do it i have to look at everything okay so you are on the side of the low life you may be good in other places but over right now because your eyes are like a scanning machine in the supermarket just looking for something to look at so you could scan it analyze it and do what you want with it you are in the low life section if you stay that way we already discussed what happens in Shemaim. but if you continue learning musar you'll learn that hey the reason why the sages said you have to protect your eyes is because it says it in the torah and the torah tells us in shema israel do not follow the things that are in your heart the things that are in your eyes meaning there are certain times that your heart desires things that are not allowed and there are certain times that you see something and then you want to do it even though you know it's not allowed so torah tells you don't do these things it's not allowed now if i do them that means i'm a low life i have to stop I have to do whatever I can to stop to control myself and not be an animal so the more a person learns how to avoid being a low life the more righteous they become without even working on their righteousness without working on doing more mitzvot without even trying to spend any more effort to become righteous they become righteous by simply eliminating the low life behavior unfortunately there are sometimes people that want to pretend like they're righteous and one of the great sages in the recent history that was known to be one that was so honest was so full of emet that he simply couldn't stand this even if it was among his own chasidim the uh, admor mikotsk admor mikotsk he was ish emet kodesh kodeshim extraordinary chacham and he didn't want Talmidim. He didn't want Hasidim. People literally would just chase him because they wanted to learn from him. They wanted his Kedusha. And he just simply didn't want anyone that has even an ounce of, of falsehood in him. He was known to, when he would sign his name at the end of a letter or something, he uh, would uh, write his name and he would write, 
השפל באמת. The uh, lowly in truth. Lowly in truth. One of the Hasidim saw that the rabbi does this. He said, okay, I'll do it too. So when he would sign some type of letter, he would also write his name and write, Ashafel Be'emet, lowly in truth. Now this guy was not really a, uh, uh, you know, doing the right thing. He was really a lowlife. But he wanted to pretend. You know, it's sort of like sometimes you have people, they want to dress like the Hasidim or they want to dress like the rabbis. They want to dress like somebody that they're really not. They worry about the exterior more than they worry about the interior. So one time, the, uh, some of the Hasidim came to the Admomikos and said, For the Rav, what's, what does the Rav think of this guy that he signs the name just like the rabbi? And the rabbi saw it. Oh, he signs just like the rabbi. The rabbi says, signs his name, Ashafel Be'emet, lowly in truth. And he signs his name, lowly in truth. He says, I'll tell you what the difference is. I am lowly due to the truth of Torah that I constantly chase and I know how much of a nothing I am because of how great the Torah is. I'm constantly realizing more and more of how great the Torah is and that shows how much how little I am how lowly I am how great is God and how lowly I am him on the other hand he really is lowly but he's a low life not low for the truth and he literally said this and although this may seem like the wrong thing it was a hundred percent the right thing not only because we don't question the sages, the Chachamim, and so on, but also simply put, this is something that's very common, where people don't want to do the work to become a real tzaddik, a real tzaddika, a real you know, uh, uh, mensch, but they want to look like they are. So they want to put the clothing, they want to look like they are with all of the exterior, and unfortunately, the... And Shemit, the people of truth, despise this probably more than other things, almost more than anything else, because it's in itself a lowly thing to do. Because if you see somebody that just stopped violating Shabbat, just stopped eating pork, he just started doing tshuva six months ago, and all of a sudden you see this guy, he has already six months ago, he was already, he was with uh, doing all types of wrong things. Now, he looks like a rabbi. He has the hat, he has a long beard, he has peyot, he pretends like he doesn't look at anything. Now, the regular people out there are impressed by this. They're impressed. Wow, look at this guy, look how he transformed his life. That's amazing. Look, he has the hat and the beard. He's such a tzaddik. Look, he doesn't even look anywhere. He's like, uh, he's like, he's probably Mashiach. That's what regular people think. The real people that actually know how hard it is to become a tzaddik, they frown upon this. Why? They know he's a fraud. There was a famous story that Rav Mizrahi Shikhe said years ago where he himself witnessed this. There was a new Baal Tshuva. New Baal Tshuva that, uh, again, 
maybe six months to a year old. He, uh, young guy, abandoned his way of evil, at least it seemed, and uh, but went to the extreme. All of a sudden, a short period of time, the beard grows by itself, but he did much more than just a beard. The clothing changed drastically. The behavior, more than anything else, changed. So much so that he got two people to volunteer to walk him in the streets because he wanted to protect his eyes so much that he put something to block his eyes. He put some type of, like, I don't know what, a tie or some type of uh, fabric to block his eyes so he doesn't see anything until he gets to the Bet Midrash so he can only see Torah. Now, people were impressed by this. Wow, look at this. Holy Baal Tshuva. It's on him that it says that greater are the Baal Tshuva than people that have been righteous their whole life. Look at how holy he is in such a quick time frame. He's already purified his eyes. He doesn't even look at any women. One of the Anshayimit, the people of truth, saw this and didn't have much uh, much uh, that he wanted he wanted to say a lot but didn't have the words that he wanted to say next to the people and just you know made one of those facial remarks like it's not uh, it's not real so one of the people asked him wait rabbi what do you think of uh, of this uh, this tzaddik and the rabbi says to him tzaddik i'd be surprised if he's religious in a couple of years he says what Rabbi, come on, it's not nice to say. It's jealousy. It's not nice. He goes, no, no, it's not jealousy. Just be surprised if he doesn't get caught with somebody's wife. What? Come on, Rabbi, you can't. It's this. Okay. So the guy walked away from the Rabbi, very upset with him, how he said such a thing about this tzaddik. Shortly later, literally a matter of Months later, this very same guy came back to that rabbi and apologized. He said, Rabbi, how did you know? Are you a prophet? How did you know? Are you a prophet? The rabbi had no clue what he's talking about. What do you mean, prophet? What are you talking about? What prophet? How did you know he's going to be caught with somebody else's wife committing adultery? He said, oh, that guy. Oh, that was already, the, the writing was on the wall. It's obvious. Why? He says, to sanctify your eyes, to have holy eyes, takes a lot of time and very hard work. It's not possible to achieve it in only six months of doing tshuva. It's not possible. Why? Because it requires you to restructure your entire life, both in and outside. Your entire mentality has to change. And even more so, even if somebody protects their eyes, when did you see any of the gdolim, the really righteous people of the generation that have toiled in Torah for the last 50, 60, 70 years walking around with something blocking their eyes? Is he more righteous than them after only six months? Obviously, there's something wrong here. And when somebody does something like that, they're overcompensating for what they're really hiding. And that's why I knew that he's not really hiding his eyes. In reality, he's using this as a tool to get closer to women. And that's exactly what happened. And many times people jump on the bandwagon of anybody that looks righteous or they see or hear things about them. And that's usually because of lack of knowledge. What people don't understand is that if a person does not toil in Torah day and night, if he doesn't learn Torah each and every single day, 
to the extent where it becomes their life, there's no way for this person to be anything remotely close to being a tzaddik. But many times, the public doesn't realize this, so they judge based on the exterior look. Oh, look at this guy. He's a, he's a, he's a nazil. Nazir, Nazir, last time we had a Nazir was 2,000 years ago. What Nazir? What are you talking about, Nazir? No, look, he, uh, look at how he hasn't gotten a haircut in 10 years. Oh, that just means he hasn't gotten a haircut. Doesn't mean he's a Nazir. No, but he is. He says he's a Nazir. He can say whatever he wants. He can call himself, uh, you know, Pikachu. He can call himself whatever he wants. Doesn't mean anything. What? Because again, this type of exterior is supposed to match an interior. That interior, that behavior change requires an enormous amount of Torah. An enormous amount of Torah. And if you're not seeing G'dolei Yisrael, the biggest sages of the generation, doing it, if you're not seeing them even recommending to do it, if you're not seeing those people being the rabbis of those people that are doing it, something's missing. Something is missing. Why? Because you have to learn from somebody to do these big things. You have to get permission from somebody to do these big things. If you don't have a big rabbi, you're already violating the Torah by itself. Everybody has to have a rabbi, including your rabbi. Everyone has to have a rabbi. Last week, we learned about Betzalel. Betzalel, Ben Uri, from the tribe of, uh, of Yehuda, Betzalel was Kodesh Kodeshim. The Gemara says Bezalel was a teenager, bar mitzvah, 13 years old. And this little tzaddik was exceptional. Not just because of the wisdom that Hashem gave him, which the Gemara in Masechet Brachot, page 55a, says the wisdom that Hashem gave him, the Ruach HaKodesh that Hashem gave him, was something unlike anything else that the world has ever seen. It wasn't like a Ruach HaKodesh that he gave to other people. You know, there are other people that had Ruach HaKodesh. Many great sages and, 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 and have gotten Ruach HaKodesh, but what Betzalel got was unique. It was one of a kind. But he got it because he himself, although at a very young age, he was one of a kind. What did Hashem give him? The Zohar Akadosh teaches us that Akadosh Baruch Hu used the holy letters of the Hebrew alphabet to create the world. He, take, he took the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he wrote, let's say, para. Para is cow. And guess what? Combining those letters in a certain way creates a pa, creates a cow. He wrote yam, ocean. Combine the letters in a certain way, only known to God, an ocean was created. Shemesh. Combine the letters of Shemesh in a certain way that only a Kadosh Baruch Hu knows, and a Shemesh, the sun, is created. Yareach, combine the letters of Yareach in a certain way, and a moon. Everything was created through the combination of the Hebrew alphabet. 
That's how he created the world. Now the Arona Kodesh that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Moshe to build required the same type of wisdom. Because it wasn't a closet to store some stuff. How do we know? Very simple. If you calculate the Arona Kodesh and how much how big it was, which the Torah tells us exact measurements, and then you calculate the stuff that was in it, it doesn't fit. Just the Ten Commandments physically should not be able to fit, even one of them fit into the Arona Kodesh. He had two of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. In addition to that, you had the staff of Arona Kohen. How did it fit? It's too long. Arona Kohen was 20 amot, 10 feet high. 10 feet high, that means that his staff was 10 feet. The Arona Kodesh wasn't 10 feet. How, how did you, how do you, how do you fit this huge staff with fruits on it inside this little Arona Kodesh? Then you have the manna. The manna was preserved for over a thousand years as fresh. Go put something in your refrigerator for more than a week. Most likely it goes bad, even though it's a refrigerator. You put it in the freezer, it'll freeze, but it won't taste the same ever again. Why? That's just the way it is. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu had the manna bread put in a little jar in the Aron Kodesh. And this lasted until the times of Jeremiah. He showed it to the people. This is what Am Yisrael got in the desert for 40 years. Why are you guys going against Hashem, worrying about money, working on Shabbat? If Hashem gave manna from Shemaim to Am Yisrael in the desert for 40 years, without them working, why do you think you need to work? Hashem's going to feed you too. He showed them the manna bread. All of these things fit into the Arona Kodesh and other things as well. To make something like this, it's not just putting a couple of pieces of wood, a couple of pieces of gold, and then you make a Marona Kodesh. No, you're talking about something that is unique, even more so. When you calculate the size of the Kodesh Kodeshim, and then you calculate the Arona Kodesh, you see it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because the Torah tells us that the size of the Kodesh Kodeshim, the room, was the same with or without the Arona Kodesh being in the way. Meaning that if you have the, from one end to the other, is 10 amot, let's just call it a, a 20 feet. Okay? Now if you have the Arona Kodesh, that's let's say 2 feet or 4 feet in the middle. What does that mean? You have 20 feet across, you have 4 feet in the middle. Right? So that means you have 20 minus the 4, that's 16. So that means that if it's right in the middle, you have 8 feet to the right, 8 feet to the left. Left. That's what you're supposed to have left. Logically. What was left? The same exact number. 10 to the right, 10 to the left. As if the Arona Kodesh wasn't there. But it was there. They needed it, they opened it, they, they had the, the Chuvim on it, the cherubs on it. It didn't occupy any space. To make something like this, you needed unique wisdom. The same type of wisdom that HaKadosh Baruch Hu used to create the world. And this 
is what he gave to Betzalel. Why did he give this to Betzalel? Because Betzalel was unique. The Gemara says in Maseret Brachot, page 55, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe exactly what to build, what to tell Betzalel to build. Where he says to Moshe, go and tell Betzalel to make the tabernacle, the ark, and the vessels. And Moshe went to Betzalel, and he said, make the vessels, the ark, and the tabernacle. Or make the ark, the vessels, and the tabernacle. Meaning it's not in the same order. So Bezalel, he had such good midot. He was so beautiful, inside and outside. He didn't want to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, you're wrong. You made a mistake. Chas v'shalom. But it is a mistake. So what do you do? So Bezalel, the tzaddik, says to Moshe, Moshe, our teacher, the way of the world is that first a person builds a house and then he builds the vessels into it. But you say to make the ark, the vessels, and then the house around it, the tabernacle. So if I build this way, like you're telling me, I build the Aron Kodesh, I build the vessels, where am I going to put them? Outside? For, for regular people to look at them? Isn't that going to be disrespectful for them? Why, you know, shouldn't I build the house maybe? The tabernacle? And then build the vessels and the ark inside? Moshe says to him, Ah, yes, Betzalel, Tzadik, yes, yes. It's like you were listening to the conversation between me and Hashem. That's exactly what Hashem said. Hashem said, build a house first, build a tabernacle first, and then the vessels, then the ark. Exactly like you said. Exactly like you said. Chazaku ba'uch You like, you were like the shadow of God. It's like as if when I was talking to Hashem, you were like in the background over there listening to the conversation because what you said is exactly what Hashem said. It's just that I mixed it up. But Betzalel didn't take pride in, in proving his rabbi wrong. Chaz v'shalom. He said, maybe... What you're saying, it's fine, I'll do it. But if I do this, maybe it's going to be disrespectful to the vessels. Is it possible that maybe I should build the house first, maybe? And then the vessels inside so they're not disrespected? Of course, yes, yes, of course you're right. Of course you're right. So you see from here, the Midot of Betzalel at 13 years old were absolutely astounding, amazing. Never to even think to tell his rabbi that he's wrong. Even though he knew he was wrong. How did he do it? Maybe there's another idea if you want to consider it, maybe. I heard that it could be some another way. I heard, maybe. That, Rabotai, is the type of loneliness for the truth that makes a person great. That makes a person a tzaddik. But this is something that a person needs to toil in Torah to work on themselves in order to acquire such things. It doesn't come for no reason. It doesn't come to a person naturally. But Betzalel was unique in that he developed these types of amazing traits already at a very young age. Hence the reason why Hashem chose him out of all the people out there. There were millions of people to choose from. 
millions of kids to choose from. Hashem chose Betzalel due to this extraordinary character trait that he had. Now, the Gemara says, also in Masechet Brachot, page 47, who is an Amaretz? Who's an Amaretz? Amaretz is an ignoramus. A person doesn't know anything. Say, oh, Amaretz, probably somebody who doesn't even say Shema Israel, doesn't pray even, doesn't put on tefillin. That's an Amaretz. No, 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 it's even worse than that. That's a Rasha. That's a person who doesn't put on tefillin. The Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 17a, says he has no share of the world to come. He goes to Gainom forever. Doesn't put him to fill in. No, we're talking about something simpler. I'm Aretz. He's clueless. Who's clueless? Say, ah. Maybe somebody doesn't learn. Doesn't learn Torah. He's obviously clueless. Because no, if he does not clue, if he doesn't learn at all, he has no share of the world to come. He goes to Gainom. He doesn't learn. He has no he doesn't even get resurrected with the dead. He doesn't learn. If he doesn't learn Torah, he's worse than Amaretz. We're looking for something simple. Amaretz, somebody is it's clueless. So who is it? Gemara says, even if this guy learns Torah and he studies the Mishnah, but he doesn't serve the Torah scholars. He doesn't serve his rabbi. He doesn't serve the Torah scholars. doesn't look to help them. doesn't look to be next to them and to see what he can learn from them. That's an Amaretz. He's an Amaretz. And that's what Huna says, that's the halacha. Meaning that even if somebody learns Torah, he learns the books. Keep Shabbat. But he doesn't surround himself with Chachamim that he can help, that he can serve them, that he can learn from them. He thinks he can do everything on his own. He doesn't have a rabbi that he's going to learn from, that he's going to serve, that he's going to watch, see. What, what else? Is, what does he do? What does he say? That guy? Amaretz. Yeah, but this guy, he just completed the entire Shas. Amaretz. Yeah, but he finished the, the Mishnah also. Amaretz. Shuchan Aruch. Amaretz. Why Amaretz? Because the Torah is not just learned from the books. There's also behavior that you need to learn. The behavior of the Chachamim, how they act under certain circumstances, what they do, what they say, how they say it. And if a person learns all the books without finally learning that he needs to learn from the Chachamim too, that's an Amaretz. It's a person that just is like a bookworm, but stays a worm, stays a nothing. Now, many times, that the Chachamim are referring to these types of Amaret, they're very, very harsh on these people. There's a Gemara that says that there was a uh, person that knew an enormous amount of Torah, died, and they ask one of the Chachamim to say something, uh, you know, at his death, at his funeral. He says, what should I say? That he was like a bookworm? He knew a lot of books? Oh, but Rabbi, but he knew, but he was a Chacham. He, goes, he wasn't a Chacham. He wasn't considered a Tomit Chacham. He knew books. He learned books. But he didn't serve any rabbi. He didn't serve any of the scholars. He was too arrogant to check if what he learned was even correct. Meaning, whether he had the right answer or not, 
was simply impossible for him to know, but yet he assumed that he has it. He assumed that if he read, therefore he understood. That means that he had a low-life trait of arrogance. Because even if you learn the book, it doesn't mean you understand it. Go ask the rabbi. Go double-check. Even if you learned the book and you understood this, how do you know you know how to apply it and when to apply it? Go ask the rabbi. Go learn from the rabbi. And unfortunately, this type of trait is as bad as the rest of them. Because this type of arrogance is a type of arrogance that can make a person live an entire life thinking that they're doing the right thing, but all the while they're doing the wrong thing. So, the Chachamim were very, very strict on this type of behavior because to the world around them, it looks like this person is righteous. But they knew the truth. They knew that these types of people typically cause more damage than good. Now, the Gemara also says the same concept of what the Chazonish is saying here, where he says that a person cannot study refined concepts with anyone who lacks self-respect. And he gives examples. Aochel Bashuk, someone who eats in public. What does it mean someone who eats in public? Does that mean that we should shut down all the restaurants out there? No. If you are one of these people that goes to a restaurant and you eat in the restaurant, there's no problem. As long as you're polite and you have good manners, there's no problem. You have your corner that you eat, wherever it is that you eat, it's not a problem. There are some sages that are even strict on that, that even then you should eat in the corner without other people seeing you, but as far as Allah is concerned, there's no problem. But if you're one of these people that goes to these public fairs or goes to a one of these kiosks or even brings food from home and you decide to take your sandwich and you're eating it while you're walking around you're eating it you know on the streets like this with your sandwich and the hummus falling on your face and and you're one of those people that eats like that you my friend are low life low life Worse yet. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm not going to walk around with a sandwich. It's not even comfortable. You know what? I'll just grab a bench while I'm waiting for the bus, while I'm just, you know, sitting in the park, and I'll eat over there. Low life. Why? Because that's not where to eat. That's not where to eat. You're not supposed to eat in the middle of the street or at some bench. If you have self-respect, you eat at places that are designated for food. How strict is this? The Gemara in Masechet Brachot gave me a chidush years ago, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago. The Gemara discusses the issues of dealing with someone that died, but not someone that died somewhere else. Someone that died next to you. And you have to sit next to this body until they bury it. Can't leave the body alone. So now, you have a body next to you, not uncomfortable, so sometimes people put a mechitza, put something to, you know, so you're not next to it, if it bothers you, no problem. Now, if it's, let's say, Shabbat, no one's coming because the body is muktzeh, you can't bury it. 
So you have to wait until Shabbat is over. So this is a really long time. So what do you do? Now you could say, well, you just, you know, you manage. No, no, no. Practical stuff. Where do you eat? Eat. You have to eat something, right? At some point you get hungry. Even though initially you're a little shocked, you know, assuming this is not like a family member and you're all hysterical and everything, you know, you're, it's somebody, let's say you work for Chiva Kadisha or you're just a volunteer and there's a dead body next to you and you're there for 15 hours. You get hungry at some point. Where do you eat? Where do you eat? Assuming that there's no kitchen, there's no other room, you have two options, Gemara says. Either eat right next to the body or go outside. Go outside. Eat outside. The Gemara says someone that eats outside is like a dog. That's what he is. That's what they compare him to. A dog. Dogs eat outside. Not Tzadikim. Tzadikim don't eat outside. Meaning, the Gemara is telling us that it's better for you to eat your sandwich next to a dead body than to eat outside in public. That's how horrible it is and inappropriate it is to eat in public in places that are not designated for food. Now, if you're talking about basic, I don't know, potato chips or, or some type of uh, minimal snack or something like that, there are many poskim that are lenient when it comes to that. We're talking about things like sandwiches, like an actual meal of some kind. That, Rabotai, the Gemara says, a person that eats in that fashion is friends with the dogs. Now, the Gemara Masechet Kiddushim, page 40b, has a Mishnah. And the Mishnah says as follows. Anyone involved in the study of scripture, meaning Torah, and Mishnah, and the practice of ethical behavior, will not readily sin. Meaning that they won't make sins quickly. If they're learning Torah, they're learning Mishnah, they're learning Musa, they won't sin quickly. As it says by Shlomo HaMelech in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, that the three-ply cord is not easily severed. Three-ply referring to the Mishnah, the Scripture, and the uh, Musal. If you have all three that you're learning, you're not going to sin very quickly. Why? Because those three are going to hold you tight. You're going to be connected to Hashem. And anyone who is not involved, either in a study of Scripture or Mishnah, or in Musar, is not a member of society. What does it mean he's not a member of society? He's going to be one of these low lives people. Guaranteed. Why? Because the obligation is to learn Torah in order to, first and foremost, believe in the 13 principles of faith. Second, to have that learning bring you to do the mitzvot. And three, to develop your character traits. That's what the Musar is for. And these three items are what you're going to learn from the Torah, from the Musar, from the Mishnah. 
And a person that does not have all three of them, he's going to be missing one of the critical parts. And therefore, they're going to become one of these people that doesn't contribute anything positive to society. Now, the Chachamim asked, what's greater? Learning Torah or doing mitzvot? Amar Rabbi Tarfon gathered together with the, uh, with the rest of the sages and they had this debate, what's more critical? Final psaq came from Rabbi Akiva. Studying Torah. Why is studying Torah more critical than doing mitzvot? He says because doing mitzvot, you could do mitzvot one day and not do mitzvot another day. Why? Because nothing is holding you to keep doing it. But if you learn Torah, that learning of Torah, referring to all three that we just mentioned, Torah, the Mishnah, and Musar, that's going to get you to do mitzvot. Doing mitzvot is not going to lead you to do more mitzvot. But learning Torah is going to get you to do more mitzvot. But what if he's missing one ingredient? Let's just say he's missing, he learns the chumash, he learns Mishnah, but he doesn't learn Musar. The Gemara says, anyone who's not involved either in the study of scripture or Mishnah, or in the practice of Musar, is not a member of society. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, he's disqualified from being a witness in a court. That's how bad his condition is. Why? Because if he doesn't learn one of them, he's certainly going to be lacking in behavior. And therefore, he's going to be one of these people that eats in the street, just like a dog does. And a person that eats in the streets is disqualified from giving testimony in a court. A person that eats in the streets, sandwiches, is disqualified from being a witness in a Jewish ceremony, in a court. Just like a Mechalel Shabbat or an idol worshiper. Why? Because he's a low life. Now, of course, again, you didn't know until now. You could change now. Absolutely. That's the goal of the Shurim. But here we see that the Chachamim are very, very particular about how a person behaves in such a fashion that they're not telling you, oh, you should do this. It's a good idea. They're telling you, listen, so long as you don't do it, we cannot rely on you to be a witness in a court, even if you saw the murder, even if you saw the cheating, the lying, the stealing, we cannot rely on you. Why? Because you have no self-respect enough to eat in a place designated to eat at the dinner table, you eat running around, you eat in the streets, you eat outside, you have no self-respect, we can't rely on what you say being true. Your mind is not there. You're acting like a lowlife. So we can't use you as a witness. Who else is not qualified to be a witness? The Shukhan Aruch, Ilchot Edut. Siman Lamed Hey, 35. Alacha, Chet, Tet, and Yud. Three alachot. Shote Pasul. Someone that's a drunk, crazy, 
Crazy person? Can't be a uh, witness. Why? He's crazy. But who's crazy? How do you define crazy? We're not talking about schizophrenic people. No, no. We'll see what shote means. Velo shote arum we're not talking about the type of crazy person that is uh, walks around naked you know like no shirt on or breaks stuff or throws rocks like the palestinian terrorists no 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 we're not talking about that ela kol mi shenitrefa da'ato v'nimtzet da'ato meshubeshet tamid bedavar me'advarim we're not even talking about this crazy person that's obviously he cannot be used as a witness. The type of person that we're seeing is excluded from being a witness is a person that has pretty much lost his mind, where his mind is constantly thinking things wrong. He's constantly thinking like, oh, everybody's out there to get me. Oh, you see that? No, I think there's a conspiracy. I think the government's out there to get me. Oh, did you see how she looked at me? No, no, we didn't see anything, no person that suspects everything and anything he's always stressed out for no reason you tell him something he understands it in a way that only aliens understand that's the type of person that's a even if this shote when he speaks about certain matters He's an expert. He's a expert archaeologist, expert, uh, you know, in uh, I don't know, in uh, knowing whatever he's doing. A mathematician. He could be an expert in a lot of different things. But when it comes to specific matters, specifically when it comes to Torah or other things, he's just like one of these people that's like just lost his mind. He's just okay. We cannot use him as a witness. And unfortunately, this puts a lot of people in that category. A lot of people have committed so many sins in their life that they've developed a certain klipa. And these, this klipa has all types of mezikim, all types of demons, pretty much bothering them constantly to do all types of things, to think all types of things. They suspect everybody. They think the wrong thing about everything. Literally, they could be the smartest guy in the room about certain subjects. They could be the smartest mathematician, the smartest programmer, the smartest uh, whatever other subject out there. But they have this thing about them that they just lose their mind. But not lose their mind like they start killing people. They lose their mind in simply just the suspecting things that are just completely off the wall. They have what's called a dot mishubeshit. He's uh, you tell them, listen, we uh, we had a shiur on Tuesday at uh, nine o'clock. It was a good shiur. Oh, it was. Why didn't you invite me then? Oh, it's because you don't want me to come. Ah, that's why. No, no, I, I didn't say I don't want you to come. I just told you we had a shiur. Yeah, but. You told me to because because you wanted to show off that I'm not invited. No, it has nothing to do with you. I was just telling you about a shield, just just to make talk. You know, just to talk. Now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And they have this thing in their mind, like what are you talking about? These are called shote. Shote. No. Can this be fixed? Absolutely. With enough Torah, that can be fixed. But until then, Allah says, you cannot count them as a witness. Even if they're clever and smart in certain subjects, if they have this pretty much 
we can call it anxiety that's out of control, cannot be a witness. Also, then there are people that have this illness. They call it narcolepsy. Where one moment they can be talking to you normal, everything is great. Everything's great. They're smart, they're clever, they have their mind all together. Moments later, he's on the floor. few minutes later, gets up like nothing happened. Doesn't even know himself what happened. So they say him, when he has these attacks, cannot be used him as a witness. In order to use him as a witness, you have to have somebody assigned to this person to see how often it is and to monitor it. Is he under the attack? Not under attack. Why? Because he's not like the first guy that he's pretty much excluded altogether. Until he removes this craziness from his from his heart. This other guy, this guy that has narcolepsy, he's only excluded either during those specific times or if he if it's an extreme case where it's constant. Who else is excluded? That was Alakha Tet. Alakha Yud, number ten. Abtaim Beotel. Shena mekirim dvarim shesotrim zeedze. People that are Taim, it sounds naive, but it's not really more. Naive is not really a, uh, a good definition, a good uh, translation. It's somebody that he has this mentality that's so weak that if you tell him things and to explain him something, he will say something in response, or even if he's trying to explain to you something, He'll say things that contradict each other in the most obvious, obvious way out there, but he won't even realize it. And they don't understand very simple things that the rest of the world understands. What is this like? You tell the guy, listen, I need you to go and buy me a uh, a 12 pack of uh drinks waters okay okay here's the money he goes over there spends an hour and a half he comes back with a bag of potato chips that he's eating himself where's the water oh uh yeah i didn't see I didn't see the, uh, the, the water that you have there. What do you mean you didn't see the water I have? Well, I saw here in the house you have, uh, you know, the Poland spring water. But in the store, they didn't have it. They had, you know, they didn't have Poland. Well, did they have something else? Yeah, yeah, of course. They had like, I don't know, they had like 10 different types. But they didn't have the same thing you had. So why don't you buy something else? Oh. Oh, you wanted something else? I wanted water, anything. Oh, I figured you probably want the same thing. Wait, so you tell me you didn't bring anything? No, I bought potato chips. What? 
What do you mean you bought potatoes? The water. People are hungry. People are thirsty here. Doesn't understand. Mind is like it went on like a mission to the moon. These people cannot count them as a witness. He's not crazy like he has to be instituted. But simply they cannot function like normal people function. They don't, they don't have the mentality. They're, they're, they're constantly thinking about other things leading them to make mistakes that the average person doesn't make. And if you explain to them that they could have gotten any water, what they'll do is they'll tell you, well, why don't you tell me any type of water? You said get water. Why don't you say any type of water? As if you're supposed to say any type of water, as if that any other person on planet Earth that's normal would request that. This is a person that's also considered a shuteh. Also people that are constantly scared or under uh, all types of a, uh, have uh, all types of, um, I don't know, I guess traumas, like all types of a, uh, uh, fears people that are constantly losing their mind these are all considered shutim and he says and also whatever the dayan decides is shutim meaning that certain people that only the dayan can actually determine this person is not fit to be a witness he's a shutim there's not enough words to describe it so from here we see that there are certain mental conditions that are not really mental conditions where you have to institute a person but mental in a sense that it's people that are affected by the lowliness of their spirituality due to certain sins that a person made or their parents made or a combination of both led this person to behave in a certain way either having too much anxiety losing their mind suspecting everyone including their friends and 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 just simply people that are have destroyed their lives are excluded from being a witness but over also the shukhan says also if you walk around half naked in the streets with no shirt you're also shute. like if you're one of those people that goes and plays uh i don't know some type of sport or you're uh, an athlete and you decide to just you know take off half your clothes and just walk you know run around the streets with half your clothes off you're also considered a shute what but i'm hot and who says that just because you're hot you need to take off your clothes in public you're a shute you're a crazy person according to the torah you cannot be used as a witness you eat in public like a dog can't be used as a witness. Can't control yourself. Can't be used as a witness. What does this all mean? This means, Rabotai, that if a person does not pay attention to the way that they behave and they simply behave however they want, they could literally arrive at the bed dean of heaven one day, aside from ruining their life because it's very, very difficult to live among such people either people that are too much into themselves where they forget that anybody else out there exists 
or people that are simply lying to themselves and to the society about themselves they pretend to be righteous in reality they're really wicked or they're simply such you know anxiety addicts they have so much anxiety and craziness in their mind that they literally thrive on problems they thrive on other people fighting they thrive on all types of conspiracy theories they thrive on bad news they thrive like literally they want other things to have to be bad in order to calm themselves or they simply can't handle the basics of life because they're so consumed with things that are not relevant to them all types of things that could lead a person to lose their mind with their own hands and they can eventually arrive at the bed dean of heaven after ruining their life here because no spouse will want to live next to such a person no kids will want to have such a parent but needless to say many people have such parents and many people have such spouses and that person could arrive at the bed dean of heaven thinking that they are the admol thinking that they're the tzaddik or the tzaddikah and they're in the low life department now the beautiful part of having such instructions that are so clear from the sages is that this is not even a warning it's simply instructions of if you do this this is your destination if you avoid this remove this stay away from this your destination is certainly going to be much better if you want to act like the way of the world where women are walking around with no arms and no legs you are a shote you walk around immodest you're a shote man or woman shote drunk crazy person lose your mind argue in public throw stuff shote constantly watching all types of uh you know uh, uh, a uh, crazy things on the news look for conspiracy and spend all of your efforts trying to figure out who's gogumagog and if the aliens are really here and if the movies are really based on reality and if the coronavirus was really something that's supposed to destroy the world and is going to be some type of you know third planet that's going to destroy it. all this mumbo jumbo shote shote crazy you're in that department but if a person wants to straighten up their mind say listen we have clear instructions of how to behave we have clear prophecies of certain things that will happen we have clear Torah of what's allowed and what's forbidden why should I go right or left from this why shouldn't I just do what it says and better my life better my family better my eternity and certainly never have the embarrassment or the punishment of somebody that's considered a low life in the eyes of the God of Israel here we see Karim, how our beautiful Torah gives us something that's as real as it gets to help us from ourselves but also help us of how to deal with certain people because you will find certain people that pretend pretend to be righteous because they do certain things 
But I guarantee you that if they don't follow the Torah, it's only a matter of time before you see how they distort it and contradict it in their life. One of the famous examples of such a behavior was by the Rasha Merusha named David Ben Gurion. If you type up his name on the internet, you'll find many pictures of him and statements and so on. But if you type David Ben Gurion Sandak in Hebrew, you'll see many pictures because people idolized him, glorified him, even though he was completely against the Torah. Many people thought he was a tzaddik and they actually used him as the sandak holding their babies when they would get a brit milah and david ben Goyon said he was very sensitive to the baby's pain and there's even picture like this one where he's holding a baby as the rabbi is doing the brit milah and david ben Goyon looks like the most sensitive little cutie out there right it looks like he's so sensitive he all oh, poor babies crying oh and he can't even look at it david ben gurion you you can't even look at the circumcision why is he because this is in 1970. it wasn't too many years after this very same wicked evil david ben gurion instructed his soldiers to shoot down the Altalena ship comprised of Jewish people over 900 of them shoot it down because we don't want them to come here with their weapons either they give us the weapons or we kill them yeah but they want us weapons for self-defense the holocaust everything that's happened to us what's the problem shoot them down and they shot down the altalena ship 16 people died in cold blood and after ben Gurion found out about how many people died instead of saying oh maybe we went too far we didn't mean it to go that far what did he say that cannon that shot down and sunk the Altalena ship full of Jews. That's a holy cannon that will be placed next to the Bet Mikdash one day. So the little baby Brit Milah pretends like he can't see the blood of the baby having a Brit Milah. He's so sensitive. But murdering over a dozen Jews, that is not so sensitive. See, see, Rabotai, Akadosh Baruch Hu makes sure that the fakers are exposed at some point or another. Another great example that you may have seen yourself is when men claim to love their wife, but yet they allow their wife to walk around immodest. Even more so, they allow her to go to the beach with the way that they go to the beach with the bathing suits the Gemara says there are three types of people 
one who finds a fly in his wine cup and throws the entire wine with the fly that's like papus ben yuda who was too strict and some say he was the man that miriam cheated on and went with yosef and from there came yeshui anutsri he was too strict on her he didn't let her move she eventually cheated on him and yeshu came from that another guy seizes a fly in his wine takes the fly out and drinks the wine Gemara says that's a regular normal person okay there's a little issue take it out and yo drink the wine why waste then there's a third person he sees there's a fly not just in his wine in his chulent in something that's like samich that's like a uh, you know absorbs and it's like thick what does he do takes a fly out starts sucking it in mm-hmm. Ooh, that's good what's new flavor mm. says that's a rasha now anyone that thinks that the Gemara is trying to teach us about wine or chulent obviously doesn't know anything so let's explain there's a person like papus he went too far with his strictness on his wife he didn't let her leave the house he locked her in the house can't do that there's the righteous person he knows that his wife needs to take care of certain things she needs to go to supermarket she needs to if she works she needs to go to work as long as it's a kosher work environment no problem as long as she knows how to handle herself and not be in inappropriate places having inappropriate conversations with people no problem then there's the guy lets his wife do whatever she wants so much so that he even knows the Gemara says he's like a guy that his wife goes into the locker room even though there's guys there let's say there's a beach or pool and there's a time for men there's a time for women the time for men is up and they're leaving but they have to get dressed she knows she's there getting dressed they're already dressed but they're not finished they're still there she already walks in and his her husband knows that she walks in she doesn't care and he stays with her rashi says that's a zona that's a prostitute this girl this is, this is not a this is not a kosher woman who would be with such a woman Chachamim say this is like a woman that's washing with the other men as if she's uh shemish mo she's if she's in a shower together with them what is this like Chachamim say this is like a man that lets his wife go to the beach or go to the pool and there's other men over there and he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it now if this man actually thought for a second hold on a second let's say for example they had a gathering in the house he brought all his family his friends all the guys came over to celebrate I don't know something that happened at work and all of a sudden his wife comes out with one of these bathing suits to serve them coffee a normal husband would say what are you doing I'm gonna throw you out of the window if you don't put clothes on what is going on with you she'll say to him what what's wrong what 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 
I wore this all day at the beach. I wore this at the beach. What? No, at the beach is okay. Over here it's not okay. How is it over there okay, not okay? Wait, so you tell me around these 20 people, it's not okay to walk around like this. But around 20,000 people, it's okay. You're a shote. You're a drunk. Drunk husband. You're like the guy that ate the fly and sucked it and said, oh, it's flavoring. You're that guy. This Rabotai, this is the mentality that is running rampant in the streets today without people realizing it. People are constantly questioning why does she want a divorce? Why does he want a divorce? How do they get divorced? How come they won't stay? They have kids together. They have this. They have that. When you act like a low life throughout your marriage and throughout your life, and you allow yourself or your spouse or both of you to act like low lives, to do things like this, it's only a matter of time before that's going to get to a level where there's no return. The Torah tells us all of these intricate details not to put us in handcuffs, not to make us miserable, but the opposite. To contain us from losing our mind, to contain us and help us from losing our spouse, losing our family, losing our olamaba. When a woman is modest, She's not only protecting herself from sins, from harm's way, but she's protecting herself from divorce, from genom, from losing her marriage. When a man respects his wife and honors her and makes sure that he buys her all the clothes that he could afford to, that she's going to be modest and celebrates her beauty in a modest way, and make sure that he gives her all the confidence in the world to be the modest queen that's only his and no one else's. He's not only going to make her happy, he's going to make himself happy. He's not only protecting the marriage, he's protecting his sanity. He's protecting the mother of his children. When a person listens to the words of the sages, he's not only putting himself on a path to get to the Beddin of heaven and have a favorable judgment is also getting himself away from the path of being a low life in the eyes of man in the eyes of God. When a person listens and applies the words of the sages and learns the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Musal without skipping a beat, He's not only educating himself, he's ensuring himself from losing his mind and everything that's important to him. If a person avoids even a single detail of anything that we just said, I think you would all agree he's a low life. But by choice. And it's our obligation to help him or her, it would, it would certainly allow us. Thank you very much for learning with us. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you to avoid the path of wrong, 
get stronger on the path of the righteous. Bezat Hashem will learn more later this week.